are in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What we just read is the very end of the story in the Gospel of John of the raising of Lazarus. The story ends in verse 44 of chapter 11, but it begins all the way back in verse 1. And I didn't want to stand up and read all 44 verses at the beginning of the sermon because we've had so much exciting stuff happen, and then to listen to me read that much scripture, I just didn't know if you could take it or if I, if I could take it. But I do want us to do just a little bit of an overview of this miracle story, of this sign act that we have in the Gospel of John, because man, it is such a good story. And not only is it good, I think it has quite a few things to teach us this morning if we will, if we'll let it. So here's the plan. If, if you feel so led, I'm going to invite you to grab your pew Bible and flip to page 104 in the New Testament. And we're going to do a little overview, and then we're going to go back and look at one specific moment in this story that I felt particularly drawn to. So that's page 104. And when you flip there, you'll see that at the very beginning of chapter 11, an urgent message comes to Jesus, a message from the sisters of Lazarus, telling Jesus that the man, the one, one whom he loves, has fallen ill in Bethany and desperately needs Jesus. By the time Jesus leaves to make his way to Bethany where Lazarus is, Lazarus has already died. And then we get this conversation between Jesus and Martha, one of Lazarus' sisters, that happens when Martha is going out to meet Jesus, when she hears that Jesus has finally left where he is and is making his way to Bethany because she just can't wait for Jesus to get into town, so she has to go out and meet him to have a conversation with him. And that's where we're going to go back and focus in just a moment because I was so drawn to that conversation this, this week. But after talking with Jesus, Martha goes to get her sister Mary and a bunch of other people who are upset about Lazarus' death end up following them out to the outskirts of town where Jesus is, and they all end up back with Jesus. And when Jesus sees the crowd and all of their grief, he begins to cry. It's where we get that verse in Scripture, Jesus wept, and in his weeping he asks where Lazarus has been laid. I had a third grade Sunday school teacher that was really big on us memorizing scripture, and I felt like I had found the jackpot when I found John 11, verse 35. 
The next thing we know, Jesus is at the tomb where Lazarus has been laid, which, like we just read, is a cave with a giant stone over the entrance. It's been four days since he died, so the body has begun to stink. They remove the stone. Jesus cries out with his voice, Lazarus, come out. And it says that the dead man came out with his hands and his feet and his face still bound with strips of cloth. What a story. What a story. Four days later, Jesus raises a dead man back to life with the sound of his voice. This story has been used to give us hope since it was first told, and I think we need to hear that hope today. The hope is that in the same way Jesus also calls us from the tomb. This story is a reminder that with Jesus, death is not the end. That with Jesus, darkness will never, ever win. That with Jesus, no matter how dark it may seem, there is always light. And that is a hope that I think we still need today. That is a hope that I know I need today. This is one of those passages that just about preaches itself. I mean, come on. Jesus raises a man back to life with the sound of his voice. But I don't want us to miss what Jesus does leading up to this moment of resurrection, because I think if we miss it, we might not be in a place to receive that good news today like, like we should. So I want us to go back to that conversation that Jesus has with Martha on the outskirts of town. And I'm going to read a little bit of it. I'm going to read verses 20 through 27. When Martha heard that Jesus was, was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Insert yourself into this moment for, for just a second. Martha's brother has just died. And the wave of grief and anger and sorrow and everything that you feel when you lose a loved one is just beginning to crest in her heart. And she goes out to meet Jesus, like we've already said, because she just can't wait any longer to see him, because they called for help nearly three days ago. And the very first thing that she does when she finally gets up to Jesus is something that we all do when we face hurt and pain and suffering. She begins to analyze the past. If only, she says, Lord, if, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, if only. Mixed into that statement, I think, is a really hard question. Why, Lord? Why did you let this happen to me? Why did you let this happen to my family? Why did you let this happen to him? Where were you? We, we called for you days ago, and you're just now getting here. What, what happened? Where, where have you been? If only you would have been here. 
She asks all of this out of a deep faith in Christ. We know that because of what it follows with in the scriptures. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him, she says. She still believes, but she has some questions for Jesus. And we've been there, haven't we? Jesus offers hope, or at least he tries to. He says, your brother will rise again. And notice what Martha does here. Martha jumps from living in the past to suddenly living in the distant future. That is the last day. We know that when Jesus says this, he means this day, this very day that they are in. But she assumes that Jesus means the last day. And you can see that in her response. I know that he will rise again, Jesus, on the last day. And I think we do this too. Like Martha, when faced with loss, we start off by analyzing the past and playing the what-if game, and we think about what we could have done or said or tried. If only it had been different, if only it hadn't have happened. And once we can't do that anymore, and the reality begins to set in, I think a lot of time we begin to move to the distant future. We try to make whatever happened hurt just a little bit less by setting our sights out as far as we can. And Martha does that, doesn't she? Looking at the very last day. And we tell ourselves, I know that it will be okay in the end. In a way, what I think Martha is doing here is in a sense dismissing her own pain in the present moment by forcing herself to focus on the last day. And I think both of those things, living in the past and living in the future, are very human responses to pain. And there's nothing wrong with briefly living in the past and briefly living in the future when we're trying to process something like this, a loss of of a loved one. But I don't think we should stay there. And I say that because Jesus doesn't let Martha stay in either one of those places for very long. He doesn't let her stay in the past, and he doesn't let her stay in the future. Instead, if you notice, Jesus pulls her to the present. For some reason, I picture Martha out of breath here, having, having just made the journey out to where she thinks Jesus is. She gets there, and she begins to talk faster than, than she can think, bouncing from the past to the future as she, she's still trying to make sense of the loss that she has experienced. And in the midst of all of that, that, that flurry that is going on inside of her head and inside of her spirit, Jesus puts, her hand, puts his hand on her shoulder just to bring her back to earth, just to bring her back to the moment that she is here with him. And he says that line that we like to quote all the time. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus pulls her to the present. Jesus doesn't say, you're right, Martha, he will rise on the last day because I will be the resurrection and the life. He says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am right now, and I will be, I will be then. Jesus pulls Martha into the present in this moment, but that isn't the only time that Jesus does this in this story. I noticed this past week that Jesus practices presence around the death of Lazarus leading up to the moment where he raises him, and it just kind of blew my mind watching Jesus walk with a grieving people. It's what I was most drawn to this week as I looked at this story. It's how I began to view his weeping. 
Commentaries argue over why Jesus weeps here, acting like it was some sort of strategy for Jesus to decide to cry. Was it to show his humanity? Was he actually sad? Is he grieving? Is he angry? Why does he weep if he knows that he is about to raise this man back to life? And I don't know exactly why Jesus weeps, but I know that part of the answer is because Jesus was present. Jesus encounters the crowd full of family and other Jews that have run out to see him on the outskirts of town, and they are grieving, and they are weeping, and they are crying, and they are living in the wake of death and of loss. And what does Jesus do? He steps into that moment with them. It moves him and disturbs him, and it leads him to weep with them. Jesus, in this story of Lazarus being raised from dead to life, cries with a grieving family. And for me, there is just something about the fact that that finds its way into one of our Gospels. Jesus encounters a bunch of folks that have a really good reason to be sad, and he is just sad with them for a moment. And it's just eight verses later that Lazarus is risen. I don't know about you, but I, I was left this week wondering where it is that Jesus might be calling us to be present. I wonder where Jesus is calling you, calling me, calling, calling us together to just be present in a moment so that we won't miss the hope and the resurrection and the new life that is right in front of us right now. Because I think just like Martha, Jesus is trying to pull us into the present so that we will be able to see with clarity what He is doing right now in our very midst, so that we can realize that present hope that we believe we have no matter what our circumstances are because of who Jesus is. Where is Jesus calling us to be present so that we won't miss Him calling us out of the tomb. I tried to spend some time this week getting a little practical with that because that feels like a big ask, doesn't it, that you should be present. How can we do that? How, how can we come to that realization? How can we stop living so much in the past or living in the future and instead begin to live in the present moment? And I, I wrestled with that this week, and I wanted to come away with, with a practical tip, a how-to guide for you of how you can be present in your faith so that you will always know of the hope that is before you because of who Jesus is. And where I landed is something that is very simple, something that you already know, but something that I think we forget to do, especially in the midst of loss and grief and pain. And it's thanks. I think the best way for us to be present, the best way for us to not allow ourselves to stay in the past or to jump to the future, is to simply live a life of thanks. To give thanks for the breath in our lungs when we wake up each day, no matter what that day may have to hold for us. To give thanks for all that God has blessed us, us with. If we're facing a season like Martha or Mary, to give thanks for the support systems that are around us. To give thanks for those moments when we are reminded of the presence of God with us in the midst of darkness. To give thanks that God is walking with us through every season of life. I really do think that's the best way for us to take this on if, if we're really serious about this whole letting Jesus pull us into the present thing. And if you don't know where to start with all of that, my recommendation to you would be to start a gratitude journal 
where each night when you're laying in bed, you force yourself to write down three things that you are thankful for that day. There is so much research out there that shows again and again that that practice can completely transform the way that you look at your life. And my guess is that it will change the way that you see God working and moving in your life. That it will ground you in the present so that you won't miss the hope. I believe that Jesus, just like he was to Martha, that he's calling us out of the past. That he's calling us away from the future and instead he is calling us into the present. Because hear this, friends, all of the hope that we are yearning for, all of the resurrection that we are looking for, all of the redemption that we are craving, it is here and it is now. And I believe that if if we can be present in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, that we too will hear Jesus calling us from the tomb into the hope and into the new life and into the love that he always has for us. Hear the words of our Savior this morning, friends. I am, I am right now the resurrection and the life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, my name is Kevin Payne and I'm the senior pastor here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining with us in our podcast of our worship celebration, the sermon this past week. I pray that you found it a blessing and that it enriched your life. If you are ever in our area and would like to join with us in person, we are located at 733 Valley Street here in Hoover, Alabama. Our service time is 10 a.m. and we would love to meet you. I pray you have a blessed week and hope to see you soon. Bye now.